You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in the industry. I'm Liam McDade, co-founder of Evolution Australia, and today I'll be your host. Okay, welcome to the latest episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast and our third in the special talent acquisition series, where we're going to be talking about designing an effective modern talent acquisition process. We have a panel of industry experts today who are ready to share their thoughts and insights with you on this topic. So let's get into the intros. Pavi. Hi, everyone. My name is Pavi. I am the head of talent for a company called Liven. So Liven is basically a plug and play solution that helps our hospitality industry reward and re- uh, retain their most valuable valuable customers. So it's basically a uh, platform for them to be able to reward their foodies and build up a community in the back end. Um, and I've been there about seven months now. So looking after all of their talent, uh, mobility, candidate experience, and everything in between that you can possibly imagine. So just building up their talent function at the moment. Awesome. Thank you. And Brett? Yeah, hi, I'm Brett. So I am the head of talent at CTO Labs. So CTO Labs is an IT consultancy in the technology merger and acquisition space. And we also play in digital strategy and transformation work. So we partner with investors like private equity firms and venture capitalists and assess their technical hygiene um, for the companies that they wish to purchase and then suggest tech lifts tech uplifts um, once the purchase is finalised as well. So I look after the recruitment and the employee experience at CTO, and I'm just at the start of my journey in making CTO an employer of choice and a place for belonging. Awesome, sounds good. Thank you, and Yuri. Hi everyone, I'm Yuri. Um, I'm the senior tech recruiter at Pluralsight. Um, We're a global tech business focused on predominantly tech skills and workforce development. What about uh, roughly 2,000 people now across the globe. And uh, predominantly here in Australia last year, we acquired a Clark Guru, uh, which has been a massive acquisition for the last few months. The Pluralsight platform itself is mainly focused on driving technology strategies and workforce development. Uh, we do that through kind of evaluating tech skills, identifying those skills gaps, and upskilling, obviously. Um, cloud Guru has got the same mantra, but it's more focused on teaching the world's cloud. Uh, the company itself has actually grown massively over the last few years, so now we're kind of touching over, I think, 5 million tech professionals. Um, and here in Australia, we're still expanding that club guru portfolio as well. And here in Australia, I look after most of or all of the technology recruitment. Awesome. Welcome. So, yeah, thanks, everybody. Great to have you uh, all with us. Um, so today's topic, so where, where does today's topic come from? So I think in, in such a competitive employment market with such enormous demand for good tech talent specifically, an effective process can not only drive improved talent acquisition operations internally, it can also be a competitive advantage in the overall pursuit of securing the right talent for your business. Um, all of our panel today will undoubtedly be competing for the same talent. So it really speaks to the collaborative, collaborative nature of our industry that you're happy to share your thoughts and insights with each other uh, and, our, and our wider audience. So um, so let's get started before you change your mind, I guess. Um, so where I wanted to kick off today was with really defining what the framework of an effective um, TA process is and, and take it from there. So. Pavi, this is something that you specifically want to talk about today, so I'll hand over to you to to kick things off. Yeah, um, thanks for that, Liam. I, I think I think at the stage where we're in right now, especially at Live, and it is very early stage sort of scale up. Um, when I did start everything, and I think some listeners would be, um, you know, hearing this and going, "Oh, yeah, we've we've been there." It, it was very much. How do we look at uh, talent acquisition? There's not really an ATS. There's it's, everything's manual, either you know Excel spreadsheets or inboxes, multiple inboxes that we're going through. So um, I really wanted to have a look at or explore what other companies were doing in terms of setting up that initial talent function per se. Like how do you actually put in the frameworks? How do you actually put in a process that works? And obviously, it's going to be different for different companies. Um, but uh, when I stepped in at Live, and I, I really wanted to explore how we could do things that I have the, you know, the the flexibility to put in something different um, as well. So I had looked at putting in a sprint model sort of hiring, 
framework. Um, and I know some other bigger companies, I think IBM and some other bigger companies had done something similar, but they also had teams of TA that would help do the sprint models and help fill seats, whereas uh, here at Liven, it's just me. And um, how much can you do on a sprint model with just one person and how would that actually work? So there was a lot of, you know, guesswork and trial and error um, as well on my part to try and uh, see which model would fit. Uh, do we go down the traditional pathway and just go, look, put in put in an ATS, put in all the roles um, and then work on like 30-something roles? And as you can imagine, you can't have one person working on 30 roles and adding the same amount of value as you would working on four or five at a time. So, Brad, just thinking, you know, you're in a, in a similar enough position in that, um, you know, coming into CTO Labs at a, at a point where there's a, um, you know, a framework to be built and, and, and you know, significant scale and growth plans ahead. Is that um, something that you've had to put some thought into in terms of that, to the, the, the kind of core framework? since joining CTO Labs? Yeah, definitely. Um, same uh, approach as, as Pavi, and I've also been um, talking her ear off a little bit in um, <laughs> in Slack channels to see how she's implemented um, certain ATSs, uh, ATS software and um, how she's gone about a few things. So, yes, definitely in the same um, positioning as, as Pavi is at the moment. Yeah, I think the the in terms of in terms of framework, um, I think you know. I guess as a as a an agency, a recruitment agency, we have a slightly different um, different view, different view on things. We 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 um, you know we work across lots of different clients pre-described or pre-prescribed frameworks. Um, but I think from our perspective, you know, the, it absolutely has to start with um, a uh, a very clear um, job spec. I guess, but not just the skills that um, the skills that the person needs. You know what what traditionally would have would have been a job description document in the past, but really a clear idea of um, what the role is to achieve, where it fits in the organisation. Um, you know the kind of cultural um, uh, cultural piece in terms of the the, the fit or the value add um, coming into the organisation. And I think you know I'm sure we've all we've all worked on. Uh, assignments or roles either internally or externally where that clarity hasn't really been there and it's and it just means that the rest of the process no matter how effective the rest of that that framework or that process might be you know if you start with a a back of a cigarette box brief or something on a post-it note you know um that's as good as it's, it's going to get. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be very difficult to um uh to, to to get a get a good result out of that. And even if you do, you probably would have achieved that through quite an ineffective process with lots of, you know, wrong turns and and time wasted and you know and and whatnot, and potentially missed out on who would have been the ideal candidate or candidates had we had that clarity right from right from the outset. So I think from a framework perspective, I think if that if we get that bit right, um then you know the rest of it is easy. Without that, you're building a house on on you know soft foundations and it's you're gonna you more luck than judgment, I guess, if you're gonna get you're gonna get gonna get the outcome. Um Yuri, what are your thoughts on that? How's that how's the you know in terms of in terms of framework, how does um how does that look at uh, plural site? Yeah, so for us, the challenges are a bit different, although we've grown more exponentially. Um, so for us, it's very much that scale, and I'm the only one here really looking at the tech talent market in Australia. So I'm facing the same things. Although we have an ATS, we have a HRS system in place. Um, I sometimes find myself still doing a lot of manual work, um, obviously working with Excel files here and there and, and Google Docs everywhere. Um, so I'm very much a big fan of having technology do a lot of the manual work for me and have that reach out to... I mean, the recruitment process at the moment should start with how do we build this job rec? Where's the job rec coming from? How does that impact the organisation? Where's is finance on board? Has that been priced correctly? And if all of that is correct, then it will come to the TA space to, to really start a recruitment process. Um, I've recently done a lot of market research and RFPs on to implementing add-ons to our CRMs and ATS systems to make that more automated. Um, and there are some really good tools out there where that is all connected across the organization and you can all work in the same tool. Um, and it goes even further than, than you know, job requisitions to 
uh, Canada Pool CRMs integrated, Canada Outreach all into one tool. Um, I think if it's just yourself, I would start there. And then from there on, you can scale upwards. Um, I do, I'm a big fan of the two-week sprint plans and the sprint planning with your roles, because I know there's 30 recs, where do you start? But then it's more a conversation about priority. What's what's the number one priority in terms of what we need to recruit for? Let's start there um, and have, you know, your HRVP, if you don't have that, an HR person or a finance person agree to let's work down the list. I think what's interesting, yeah, we, I'm sure we've all been in situations with it. To, to your point about priority there, Yuri, um, uh, we've all been in situations where we've had different hiring managers in different parts of the business that all have a P1. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, <laughs> this, because it's their top priority, it has to be the whole businesses as well. Um, so that can, you know, and I suppose that that's that's just yeah, human nature to a certain extent, but also an issue that you would see even more in a bigger organization that already perhaps gone through that that growth and scale more 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 managers in more units with more projects and you know more 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 objectives to um objectives to achieve um but yeah I, yeah when you got when you got 30 requirements as you were saying uh, a moment ago Pavi, um you know how do you how do you how do you prioritize those or who prioritizes those what impacts can you have in the prioritization of those i think that all comes back to um, the point about 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 qualification, qualifying not only what are we looking for, when do we need it, and there being a difference between a need and a want, right? In the same way, any job spec will have must have skills and nice to have skills. You know, what's the what's the, what's the, what's the, the difference between a need and a want um, to to really kind of identify um, what that what that brief is and 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 where that sits in the in in the sprint planning where that takes priority i think i find it funny that um i think you know i've been working in consulting for quite some time now and i've i've really started to to find myself asking if the statement of work is signed (laughs) so that i can understand if it's just a you know enthusiastic sales team wanting to hire for every um client or if it's actually a piece of work that we can um that we can go and work on yeah, I think yeah the, um, the 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 speculative opportunistic uh, hire is um, you know definitely <laughs> definitely down the list of, uh, of of things that are achievable in the in, in the in the market at the moment with um, with so many you know everyone having so many roles on us at, at the start you know the demand for for tech talent right now is is more than I've than I've ever seen it recruited for 20 years across technology never seen anything like it um it's good it's great not complaining um but yeah it just brings a whole new a whole new kind of pressure and 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 challenge and and dynamic to it um whereas things you might have been able to or we might have been able to spend time or commit resources to previously it's just like yeah that that, that'll have to wait (laughs) <laughs> like we can't get to that we can't get to that now that's just not it's not not a realistic um you know uh, achieve a realistically achievable outcome um i think beyond uh what's about framework beyond in terms of once we've got that clarification around um again thinking from an agency perspective as much as anything else but um i think where we've seen the most effective processes on our client side is when there's been a real clarity of expectation around um interview or assessment process where no matter no matter what the job or the level of seniority there is a there is there is a there is a process to it there is some form of um replicable model for interview whether that's the how many interviews who they meet the sorts of assessments they go through um and when that's when there's when there's real clarity of that within an organization and everybody who's and crucially anybody who's involved in that interview process um knowing that and being and being on board being on the same page because you have different people doing different interviews for different roles but i think having that having that clarity around this is how this is how we interview around here this is how it's done around here um as well as being i think being very effective in terms of making sure that there's the right level of diligence and agility um it through the process i think also it's a real good opportunity for the company to display and demonstrate their culture or evp or um you know how uh, 
the agility or diligence of the recruitment making decision making process related to recruitment. Uh, Pavi, you were you were to make a point. Oh no, I was just going to um, go back to uh, Brett's point where we had the we had the same issue where we had like. 30, I think more than 30 when I started odd roles where everything was business priority urgent, like everything was flagged as urgent. And I said, this, this can't be right. You can't have 30 urgent roles all to be filled within the next couple of weeks. It's not going to be possible. So we actually flipped it back around and I went back to them and said, okay, great. We've got these. If we're doing it in a sprint model, we need to be able to put in that structure first. So um, tying in what with what you said, Liam, Obviously, tying in uh, the structure of how an interview is going to be done, what are the processes, who is going to be in them. So a lot of that was done really ad hoc as well for us. Um, so tying that all into a framework first, but then going back to the roles and saying, well, which ones are actually business priority? Um, and sitting down with the leadership team and saying, all of your teams are saying these are priority number one. Are they actually priority number one? Or can we push some of these off? For two months, one month, um, you know, is there resources that you have in your team that can actually do the job? Let's do some headcount planning. Let's do some workforce planning to actually structure the teams first. But in the meantime, let's keep hiring, but let's, you know, do it in that sprint model, but shorter, uh, take up four or five roles. And I think um, I'd mentioned this as well, Liam, we'd gone through a T-shirt sizing for each of the roles. Yeah. So if they're really hard to fill roles, which pretty much as you guys felt as well, every tech role is hard to fill. It's not like in a, in a four-week sprint model, you're not going to be able to fill. If you do, amazing, great. I think that's like the 1% of all the companies that are fighting for tech roles right now. But we had to um, then go back and I sat down and went through with our one of our founders and said, let's T-shirt size all of these roles. What's easy to fill? What's a lower-level role that um, – that if we post up a job ad, we get 50, 60 applicants for, I can actually push that back onto the hiring manager and say, here's the job ad, we've posted it out. From here on out, this is the interview process. Um, phone screening, here's the templates all for you. Interview guides all for you. It's all there. You can carry that process onwards, whereas the the medium and the large, the, those roles were more um, support needed from a TA perspective, so sourcing, going out on LinkedIn, reaching out to people. So those were the larger roles that um, I would need to get more hands-on with. So when we do pick up each sprint, it would be a mix of those roles to say, hey, I can help you with this because it would be 10 hours worth of work per week. The large, extra large ones would be full-on sourcing because they're really hard to fill, really hard to find 20 hours per week. So let's size all of them and that way it's easier to manage and it's easier for me to then go back to the hiring managers and say, right, this is what this T-shirt sizing looks like and this is what my capacity is that I can take on board for this sprint, five roles, all different sizes, anything outside of that that's still urgent, push it back onto the hiring manager and they pick up the process. So it's not just dependent on TA to help fill your roles. We're there as an enabler and empower you with all the tools that you need, but also pushing back onto the company um, and saying, if this is super, super urgent and it's outside of TA's capacity, then you'll have to pick up that. But here's all the tools that go along with it as well. How, how was the success of that when, when you know, if, if, I, if I understood this right, it's creating kind of a, a, a recruit, recruitment toolkit or, or, you know, set of resources for the managers to then to take that, that responsibility on themselves while you, you focused on the <clears throat> on the more um, the meet the meatier assignments, I guess the the, the the bigger roles. What was the success success like there? Did, was the, the the feedback from the managers doing that? Actually realizing what we what, what we have to do all day every day, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. If you want to fill your roles, and if this is urgent, and you've got work to deliver, you know, it it is very much. It, I think it was more of a change for them to understand that recruitment is not just TA's job. It's everybody. You are filling your teams. It's At the end of the day, it's a person that you're bringing onto your team. So everyone's a recruiter right now. Everyone needs to do, uh, you know, jump in, pitch in. If we want bums on seats ASAP, it's not just one function's job to do everything. We'll help you. We'll enable you. But um, at the end of the day, you know what you need for your teams. You know 
the type of people that you need at interview stages. They're the ones that are going to be in interviews um, and we can go back to them and, and advise and say, yep, these three candidates are great or these four are great for your team. But the final decision does come down to a hiring manager, so they're better able to, you know, pick and choose how that works for them. But it's it's been going well. Like I think in terms of what we have um, we have done so far, uh, I've got the ATS up and running, which has helped, and it's you know we've got all of the the scorecards, the templates, they're all in place as a framework. So. I think because the tools are there, the process is there, the framework's there for them to be able to use it, it's become a lot easier rather than relying on me feeding them bits and pieces um, back and forth through Excel spreadsheets, downloading CVs out of an inbox and going, here you go, there's 15, I'll put them into a Google Drive, just tick yes or no on what, what you want and then let's go from there. So that we've moved from that into it. Yeah, I think the, um, the 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 key part of of a an effective effective process is is around you know there's de- there's there is definitely an element of speed. Yeah. Um, that's you know uh, it's absolutely in, in, more important than it's ever been now um, these days. You know, good candidates don't stay on the market very long. And I think one of the Kind of key principles of a of a, a, a recruitment or talent position process um, that works is delivering a positive candidate experience, engaging people through um, through the process because of the speed of of the um, of the process. How quickly we need to we need to move to secure good people that come onto the market, so they don't tend to stay on the market very long. Um, we have a small window to um engage assess um make a good impression. and and make a good impression right and 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 delivering delivering we will know right this is not this is not some you know great revelation that i'm making here we all know that candidate experience is is incredibly important probably more important than ever um <clears throat> but but keeping that consistent throughout a process where there's all these other challenges well around priorities of other roles and um um you know, having uh, competition from other other companies for that for that same talent, needing to make sure that okay, well, we don't we want to give this person a great experience. But we also want to know if they can do the job. But let's not forget about that bit. So, but you know, maintaining that consistency of experience throughout. As, as I said before, you know, being able to demonstrate what it's like to work here, what it's like to be here, um, what it's like to be part of the team. And you know, I think, um, and actually, Brett and I were talking about this only yesterday. Um, we often preach to to our clients that um, the candidate experience that you deliver to candidates who don't get the job is arguably more important than the ones who do, because the ones who don't get the job, that final call to say you weren't successful and for for you know these reasons or the other reasons, um, that's their last engagement, that's their last touch point, that's the last memory of your business. So it's really important that that's positive. It's a bit nice to be told you didn't get a job that you wanted to get. But if you can deliver it in a you know positive way and and, and still getting a, a, a positive experience through that, then you know they, they they carry that back out into the market and they hold your 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 organisation in, in high regard for potential future organisation uh, potential opportunities there. The people who get the job, well, they get to different get to have a different experience once they once they work there. So it's not that it's not as not important, but it's I suppose the in my view anyway, I think it's much more important to deliver that candidate experience to the people who don't get the job and do it's very tempting i guess sometimes to think oh look that candidate that we're not going to hire that candidate so let's move on and um but i think it's you know in a almost counterintuitively they're the people with that need to have the great experience because they're going to go out to the market and tell people what it was like to interview your company right um and you know so we don't we don't want um you know candidate, candidate experience is as I say more important than it's ever been i think um, Brett, we spoke about this yesterday. Any, any, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think that um, you know when we were talking about candidate experience as well, we we spoke a lot about that um, you know that need to mitigate unconscious bias. And you know, I preface it by saying that you know as humans, we consciously process about forty bits of information per second, but we unconsciously process about eleven million bits per second. 
So naturally over time, our brain really forms these um, neural pathways or shortcuts that help us get to an answer quicker. And this is really based off learned behaviours and past experience. So we attach meaning to certain situations or interaction, interactions based off um, our lived experience and our cognitive development. So sometimes when we're engaging in conversations or situations, we are coming to that conversation with the perspective of a seven or eight-year-old. And um, I think it's important to note that we're never going to get away from unconscious bias. Like, it's, it's drilled into us. But it is super important to address how to mitigate unconscious bias, especially in the hiring process and the employee experience. Otherwise, workplaces will only mimic those that are in charge of hiring and this could really lead to like clicky environments and clashing personalities. And even worse, when these companies finally do address the need for diversity, it won't be a safe place for someone who could go against the grain or be from an underrepresented group in the community. You know, I strongly believe that, you know, this is why forward-thinking companies are really removing those buzzwords like culture fit, culture ad, and value ad from the recruitment process altogether, because it's really an excuse to pigeonhole candidates in that I got along with them slash didn't get along with them pile. And it's a bit of an excuse not to give honest feedback. And it's usually because the interviewer isn't comfortable giving that feedback out loud. So um, I think that a, a proper candidate experience is, is necessary to bring in the right people for the business and to um, you know, create that sense of belonging. And I think some of the ways that we can start to mitigate unconscious bias is by creating the inclusive candidate experience from the get-go and really embedding inclusive measures into the TA process. So I know we were talking before about, um, you know, different types of inclusive job advertisements and, and job descriptions, you know, and it's funny that that you're saying, you know, what, what does a candidate see straight away? Because I have this analogy that, you don't go to McDonald's or to a restaurant and ask the waiter for all the ingredients that are in your meal. You know, you go and buy a Big Mac because you you know what a Big Mac is. It's been advertised well over the years and it's, it's enticed you to buy it. So why would you put a job ad up that's got 20 different skills that need there are a need to have where you can just put five skills or five dot points that entice the candidate to actually have that initial recruiter conversation and get them have more touch points along the recruitment uh, process that will then entice them to come in because they've met people that they actually want to work with. You know, and the, these um, these job ads that have, you know, all the jargon and the company acronyms and, you know, the corporate cliches like status quo or fast-paced environment. It's like we've really got to move away from that and make sure that we're using more inclusive language so that, you know, you use more words like support and growing because, at the end of the day, like you will have a, a large portion of underrepresented communities that will just flip past those jobs and think I'm not actually skilled enough to be working at this company. Whereas, you know, the people that are applying, like what's the rule that, you know, a man will apply to a job if he has three out of the 10 skills, a woman won't apply if she has eight out of 10. So, you know, and if you're not, I think that it's important to remember that if you're, you know, if you're not sure about gender friendly language, you know, there's language analytics software out there like Textio or Gender Decoder, and that scrapes your text and scores you on your inclusive levels, um, inclusivity levels. And I think that, you know, that's the start of a good candidate experience. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're talking about the um, structure of a, of a job spec or a job description or a PD or whatever, whatever we want to call it. Um, I think talking about the skills, the skills part of it, you know, the must-have, the nice-to-haves, the essentials, desirables. Um, in my view, that's a very small portion of what should be on a, a modern, anyway, a modern job description. I think, and it's and and for me, it should be at the end, more of like you know, this is this is the tech stack we work with. These are things that you'll be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. These are the skills you would need to have straight be able to learn. But I don't, you know. When we're speaking to candidates, we're qualifying candidates on what they want to what they want to do with their career, where they want to go, what they want to work on. The answers are are, are less and less about what technology you want to work with. They are a React developer. So okay, well let's you know we can take that as Reg. You're looking for you know some some um, you know software engineering work that's that involves React. But what do you want to do? What do you want to work on? What sort of environment do you want to work in? What problems do you want to solve? What what um, what industries do you have any have an interest in? What you know, now and now, obviously, more recently, a hybrid working, working in the office, remote work. All these things are 
are more important than, in my opinion, as I say, I can only speak for myself, more important than the, than, the, than the skills of, you know, three years of this, five years of that, two years of the other. Because I think that has become the easy bit, right, of, of, of recruiting and filling roles. Finding someone who's got the skills um, or the experience with this this technology or that, um, yeah, that's that's easily that's easily searchable, right? There's a thousand tools out there that can identify those people. How do we engage them and tell them a story about the organization they're applying to or what the opportunity this might present to them um, uh, in terms of their career? You know, I think what am I? What's my job day to day? Is less important now than than certainly in, in, in my career. I think it's what am I doing? What am I working on? What do I get to fix? What problem am I solving? What impact am I having? Um, you know, what's the what's the team like? You know, we're, we're, to, your, to your point about you know um, diversity, Brett. We've we, yeah, we're getting asked more and more by by candidates. Go, what's the diversity of the team? You know, what's the team made up? What's the what's the you know whether that be gender, whether that be ethnicity, whatever you know seniority, whatever. Um, people are more concerned about the makeup of the team. Who will I be working with? And and that's not always, that's not always from from people who come from or, you know, or, or, or members of an underrepresented community. It's just it's it's out there, right? People talking about it more. People, it's more important to people. Um, and so to be able to talk about that in the body or the main, you know, the opening of um, the front page of a job description. And that the skills can be at the end. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the skills. We know we know we need to be able to code. That's fine. But let's we we'll worry about that bit. In, that bit in the, in the end. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, it's a it's a good point about like how do you actually sell that? Because a job ad you're up against, you know, hundreds of other companies that might be paying more to get their job at the you know the top promoted. Um, part of LinkedIn or, you know, be more visible. And it's like, how do you actually engage that talent when, um, you know, you want to be able to have that more robust interview process and have that interview process, um, you know, display what kind of work environment you're going to be working in. And that's why I think it's really imperative to have strong relationships with your hiring managers and to really educate them on how to have an inclusive uh, recruitment process and, you know, my suggestions would be for anyone who's starting out in a company in, in TA that you would shadow every hiring manager and every interviewer to really pick up on the behaviours that they show during interviews and understand what your, your starting point is and then give them that feedback as well. I mean, most of the time, hiring managers and interviewers don't actually realise that they're, they've got these nuances that, that happen, especially when you're on video calls. It's a lot different environment and you can look very uninterested if you do certain, um, you know, body language but um, I think that one of the most important things to embed a inclusive uh, interview process uh, for more diverse candidates and for every candidate in general is to implement that uh, interview training that focuses on behavioural techniques rather than having interviews just show up and make the questions up on a whim and, you know, say what just came to mind. And make sure that any training explains unconscious bias and um, how to mitigate it as well. So using models such as the SEEDS model, um, I won't go into it, but, you know, there's lots of different unconscious biases out there and the SEEDS model touches on similarity, um, expedience, experience, distance and safety. And, you know, I think it's also really important to, to highlight to interviewing teams, um, you know, examples of common microaggressions that could pop up unknowingly in an interview as well. So saying things in, in candidate feedback, such as X candidate was very articulate, it can be seen by some communities as I wasn't expecting X candidate to have that level of intelligence based on their race, ethnicity or background. So really set up those expectations with the team for what skills you're looking for, but how do you actually sell that they would be coming into an inclusive working environment and one that they belong to as well? Because we've got lots of diversity measures in, in place now, but what does diversity mean when it's up against inclusion and equity and equality? Yeah, just to take a slightly, slightly different, um, different view on this, I'd be interested, Yuri, in um, you know, your experience or what you've, your, um, yeah, your experience within 
um, an organization that has has grown significantly, but also, um, you know, the the um, merger of the two um, between Plural Site and Cloud Guru, mm-hmm. um, how you will have had separate, um, most likely different cultures, different um, views on on these things, or certainly different backgrounds in terms of the cultural makeup of 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 the uh, of, of the workforce, different processes. Like, has that been a seamless transition, or have there been you know, do you take How the best from both right? and make and make a and, and make one kind of central central <laughs> process to to address these things? If you've got another hour, Liam, I'll talk you through all of that. Um, there's a lot <laughs> still going on of that, obviously, but I think that is a, an entire cultural change as well, because there's two tips every business, as you said, one's very enterprise focused, one was more from a startup. So people that actually joined that business had a very much a different driver, I think, when they first started. When a business actually transitions to an enterprise level, um, more processes will get involved. There'll be a lot more gatekeepers as well, and some people just don't like that. So we've gone through that transition that is still going on, on the the kind of eliminating that unconscious bias part, which is it's very relevant in the market at the moment and across any business. We there's a couple of things we've done and we're still doing at the moment, which is on Breastpoint is, is awareness training. So really working with managers, we have certain training. We get every single hiring manager, even new hires, to go through. This is documented online for us um, in the old Google Drive. <laughs> and on some confidence pages as well. But um, hiring managers will also watch some videos and some training, and uh, then they will get coached by some of the other stakeholders. So that's one point. The other one, we obviously also use Textio, which is an amazing tool. Um, very augmented kind of rewriting of your job ads and, and will give you actually a nice little sliding scale of uh, diversity piece, age group, everything. Um, we also have used software tools that actually blind resumes, where it's taking out the name, taking out pictures, anything. I think LinkedIn is actually one of those things as well that they can do. Um, and the other part on, on Parvi's point earlier was standardizing a lot of our interview structures and questions and, and competency frameworks, where a lot of those defined questions actually take out the unreliable piece. So a lot of the answers are actually more objective. Um, whereabouts a lot of the higher managers, they just run their own process and own questions. The answers will automatically be, be seen in a different light for different people. And then on top of that, we have diversity goals across the business um, and, and separate teams as well. I mean, in, in my personal level, I, can, I catch up with a lot of hiring managers and, and there's always the diversity piece that comes up in every single job kickoff meeting. Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, the, the, the conversation about, about diversity um, and it's it's in the tech space it's most commonly assumed i guess that when we're talking about diversity we're talking about gender diversity but certainly i learned that i had um on the subject so a, a, a podcast similar to this that i recorded about you know six seven months ago on the on the subject of diversity and inclusion in, in, in tech i went into it um kind of thinking okay well look, you know this is what well, you know, planning for the conversation and you know, that the the conversation would largely be around um, around gender diversity because we're talking about yeah we're all in the tech industry and that's that's the thing right it's you know that's the the, the gender diversity of the challenge in tech and then we started having the conversation you know, for other people on the call with me that were very passionate about it very knowledgeable and it really opened my eyes to the fact that just to bring these almost bring these two points together that I'd gone into that conversation with this kind of unconscious um belief that that's what we're going to talk about because that's what diversity means it means boys and girls and actually that was probably less than half of the conversation we're talking about a lot more um a lot more different um uh communities and and things about how um creating a culture of or an environment rather than not a culture creating an environment where people of different um backgrounds or you know choices or preferences are all kind of given the same opportunity you know when we talk about people with english as a second language like english is my only language i don't speak anything else um so, but you know we're an english-speaking country with lots of people where english is a second language and it never really occurred to me before that call embarrassingly enough it never really occurred to me that actually that's a diversity and inclusion piece as well because all the meetings are held in english right because we've been in an English-speaking country, and um, you just kind of make that assumption. I guess it's also tying your point in from earlier, Brett, about um, you know being articulate 
you know that kind of what's supposed to be a compliment that actually could be seen as could be taken taken in a, you know to have, to have another another meaning or another or another bias to it so it's a it's a I think it's a minefield that you know I suppose by the nature of it I've always looked at unconscious bias as being you know, when we spoke yesterday, Brett, you were saying about uh, talking about eliminating unconscious bias. We actually agreed we, it's unconscious. You can't you know, eliminating it is probably a it's probably a, 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 a an impossible goal. But to mitigate it, to at least understand that unconscious bias exists, you're more likely to be able to identify. Okay, right, I made that decision, or I came to that conclusion based on this thing that actually isn't necessarily the case when I think about it. Yeah, it's Perfect. funny. Um, yeah, sorry, with, I'll just quickly add there that you know. When you're trying to figure out what your own biases are, it's quite um, it can be quite challenging and confronting. And one way that I like to think of it is if you've seen the movie um, Inside Out, I always imagine having the different characters in my mind and, you know, them all kind of having conversations with each other. And then I'm like, oh, so that was, um, you know, that was caution coming up or that was anger coming up. And you, you sort of, you can mitigate unconscious bias by um, watching Pixar films, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was actually going to ask this group here, so out of Brett and Yuri, like I know that um, just touching back on what Liam said before, there has been this very big push, especially in tech companies, on diversity and inclusion to just gender balance. And obviously there's other things that are popping up now. And um, I do work with great individuals in Jobs for Humanity where we're looking at underrepresented groups such as people with – uh, you know, um, blindness or low vision, um, neurodivergence, uh, people with Have you guys looked at that piece yet, or are you still sort of early stages in that? Let's do gender balance because I feel like that that's a that is a big one across tech. But um, I don't know if that's something that you guys have started looking at or expanding your DEI initiatives to include. From our end, it has been part of the conversation. Um, however, we're trying to set up more of a community internally to drive that as well. Um, in general, most of our diversity pieces I found are, are mostly driven internally because externally it's very hard to do that uh, and actually in your passive or active searching to candidates unless you really reach out to certain communities and really get active in them. Um, but then it's, it's more a question about bandwidth really for us. Um, for us, it's really driven internally by certain people and, and setting up separate committees to drive that and then go out there and represent the brand. We haven't done that as active as I'd like, I'll be honest, um, but it's definitely something we should be put on the radar. Yeah, um, I think it's a bit early days at CTO Labs to talk about um, different diversity groups, uh, but, you know, having being a woman who has accidentally fallen into tech, I can definitely fall into the, um, you know, the stereotype of being a diversity measure and, you know, being a piece of data and I think that it's very important, um, as Jory said, to really set that culture up um, in inside the company. And I think that if you don't have employee resource groups, make them um, and encourage everyone or anyone to, to join them, not just people that might be, um, you know, in that under, underrepresented group in the community. Um, but I think that the more that you you start to network, and I suppose it does come into the TA, building the TA process, like the more that you network and that you partner with communities, um, you will find more meaningful connections with underrepresented groups. And, you know, start things like reconciliation, um, reconciliation action plans and, you know, show that alliance to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community and do some cultural awareness programs. Like there's some fantastic ones in Australia Um I'm not sure if everyone here is in Melbourne or Sydney, but in Melbourne, I know that there's some fantastic ones that um, are run in the CBD. And um, yeah, I think that gender diversity is very much a buzzword and we can fall into the trap, especially in tech, that we have roles open just for our diversity hire. And what some hiring managers don't understand is that that is a form of discrimination against women and men, because if you have something open for just a woman, then you're discriminating against men. But if you're also trying to fill it with a woman, then you might not be looking at her actual skill set. So I think that with gender diversity in particular, we should be creating roles for women, because if we really think about how the tech industry is set up, it's always been biased towards men. So we need to really think outside the box and think, 
we've met this awesome women woman candidate. Where can she fit? We know that she's a great, um, you know, she'll be a great asset to the company. Can we create something for her to come in and really make an impact? Yes, yeah, interesting, um, interesting point um, around yeah, creating creating roles around good people that you, you want to bring to business. So I suppose that ties back into our um, you know point earlier about you know opportunistic um, hires um, as well. But um, yeah, it's interesting part. It's not 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 something that I've I've, I've come across an awful lot to be honest. Um, it's 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 again having a different different lens on this being on the agency side um typically you know we're we are told or we can be told by our clients what their you know their expectations are of, of these candidates to you know to serve certain certain quotas or targets or whatever that might be and you know they would you know clients feel safe in Telling us things they wouldn't they wouldn't write in the job ad, let's say, uh, to put it politely. Um, so yeah, that's it's that's definitely a context that I can kind of take back to to market and speak to people about. Um, yeah, I think uh, has has a lot of value and I'd be yeah, say not something I'd put a lot of thought into previously. So that's uh, that's, that's a good one. Um, Yuri, to to your point, um, when we were, we were speaking um, prior to the recording today, around um, you know you're talking about taking taking message out to market and um, the, the 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 brand and the message around, but we were particularly talking about uh, about diversity and you know and certain and certain groups, certain communities. You want to talk about leveraging an effective TA, TA process. You know we've we got to the point now. You know, let's let's. Fast forward, we've got to the point where we've embedded this TA process. It's effective. It's great. Um, you know, it's 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 a well-oiled machine. Um, how do we leverage the features of that to um, engage passive talent? Yeah, the magic bullet. Um, so I think we'll, we'll, uh, in terms of passive recruitment, it's a huge market, right? So a lot of people that are not looking, or they are, like you said earlier, have gone through the process. Might be a silver medalist, but they're not right for that role. They might be right for something else. Uh, six months, twelve months, two years down the line, who knows? How do we re-engage them? How do we um, keep in contact? How do we keep them warm um, for the brand, for the role? Um, these are just things I've been been thinking about the last few months. I guess uh, I don't know if. Obviously, people are going through different journeys, but how do we build that from from the ground up? Um, how do we talk about talent pipeline, right? So we have active people going into it, but also uh, get passive people into that pipeline. So I don't know. I was I was thinking the other day. Obviously, strong talent pipeline. I think we talked about it before. Uh, Parvi trying to obviously find a high level sit down about transparency and visibility on the hiring roles and what are our hiring goals and what are positions we're going to recruit for. And then the next step, I think, is just looking at the sourcing strategy, which we all use is, is LinkedIn, LinkedIn recruitment. Everyone's getting bombarded by messages. So you might get a soft response there. Um, one of the huge things that we're looking at is referral program, which has been very successful. Um, on top of that, networking events and meetups, which I'm a big fan of, is really getting into the community, in the tech community, I guess you can go on to a GitHub even. And then the other part is which is the big point about Passive recruitment is, is a recruiting CRM or database. Um, I think I mean, you said something about Google Drive, and everyone can tick resumes there. That, that is my worst nightmare. Um, I rather have a tool that just stores that, and I can put it in buckets, get some some kind of parameters around it, so it's an easy search to get back into it. I know recruitment agencies actually, William, you might be one of them, have got a really have that got that really well set up. And that's why they're very effective because they can talk to people that they've talked to a year ago or two years ago. But I find a lot of internal teams do not have that set up. So I guess maybe to the group, and I know um, we're on different stages of, of building a recruitment process, is to how do we nurture those candidates, the passive candidates in the talent pipeline? One of the things we already talked about is, is really like talent experience, talent engagement. It needs to be a positive experience. But how would we set that up from the ground i guess the avenues of connecting the talent engagement and the communication part um and even i think laura from papercut said something in your previous podcast about employee ambassadors the strong brand and evp basically everything is what i'm asking <laughs> yeah what's the answer not, not a big answer. Yeah. Right? it's not <laughs> a big <answer. laughs> no i think i think 
um, with, if we're specifically talking about passive talent, it feels to me, you know, we, we say we have a we have a different way of of um, collecting and 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 uh, engaging our, our candidates than, than perhaps our, our, our clients do. Um, being an agency, I think the passive talent community is about 90% of the overall community at the moment. They're just, I mean, if the alternative to passive is active, how many active candidates are there? How many, how many people are, are out there right now going, do you know what, I'm actively looking for a new job. And if they are, if they were yesterday, they're probably not anymore today because they've got something, right? So it's, you know, I think it, we could almost, we could almost just talk, uh, we could almost just drop the word passive from that, from that and talk about just the talent community as a whole. So I think, if you assume that every candidate out there is passive, you wouldn't be too far wrong. Um, Absolutely. You know, um, it, it's it's uh, uh, and it's a slow it's a slow burning thing, right? We all have, and we, look, we're the same. You know, we 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 recruit for our com- you know, our, our clients, um, and we have you know deadlines to hit and roles to fill and, and that that type of thing. But we're equally trying to grow our business as well. We're trying to hire people into into evolution so that we can you know deliver services to more to, to more clients and you know and 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 open up some more more capability and perhaps some other areas that we don't have the the capacity to to support our clients in you know right now um open up new locations whatever that might be and um it just can't it can't be done it can't be done overnight right it's it's all about how do we um create a a brand for ourselves out in the market and i guess ours is ours is twofold how do we create ourselves as a brand where companies will want to work with us and you know and trust us with their with their with, with their, their recruitment assignments but also that our own internal brand of okay well look this is what we're doing would you know, come and join us so you know i suppose we have we have an, an incredible um uh, marketing manager within, within our business crystal um who you know, there are three pillars to her role: marketing to attract clients, marketing to attract candidates, and marketing to attract um, employees. Yeah, potential potential people to join the business, and they are all passive clients. Clients are passive, right? They everyone wants to hire. Everyone's hiring at the moment, but you know, there's there's a lot more um, very effective talent position teams. Um, so the, it's not the case of people relying on recruitment companies as much as they're perhaps used to. So it's really a case of, you know, they are they are also passive. So how do we how do we create a brand and an awareness and a and a, you know a vision of ourselves that will um, that will bring people to us, whether they be clients, whether they be candidates or or, or employees. Um, you know, we are as an agency, right? We're, we're a recruitment agency, so we are very good at going to find people and bringing them bringing them to a to us uh, actively getting people to come to us reactively or passively that's kind of the new challenge i think and i think that's that that would be something that you would all undoubtedly undoubtedly share and i think you know as i say there's no um there's no silver bullet to it or as you say there is no silver bullet to it magic bullet um but i think it takes time and i think it's about it's it's consistency it's consistency of getting the 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 right message out there but a repetition of that same message a repetition of that um you know it, it values evp what's important to us the, the the identity of the organization who are we what do we do how do we do it who do we do it with who do we do it for why is that important um because then you you know the the the, the passive people that you are attracting they're the right people rather than trying to be all things to all people and then having a much bigger you know sifting job on your hand to find um you know to find the find the the, the diamonds in in there yeah you got to build it into your recruitment process right um and a lot of more mature business maybe have, have actually moved as you just said a, a complete marketing person into a talent team so talent team is now uh, the role itself has expanded as well to not just build a talent process it's also reach out to candidates it's almost a sales role where you're representing the brand so talent marketing decks, I think, are hugely important when you reach out to candidates, have all that exposure, uh, org chart, really simple things. Um, but yes, you're right, a talent marketing person within the team that looks after EVP, the branding, um, and that can go very far again to meetups, getting the brand out there, having that exposure. 
um, and then all the way to you know that positive talent experience throughout the recruitment process and then even after the recruitment process which is then the next part is how do we then re-engage with those people on a, on a, in a soft way that is not the annoying text or call or um, we all know them so it's, it's a lot of things at once you write but it's, I think it starts with really incorporating that in, in your recruitment process all the way from the start of day one I'm reaching out to you how's your role what are you looking for all the way to hey I'm talking to a year ago the ideal world as you said is I have a role in the business I don't even have to post a role I already have five candidates in the network or in my CRM or ATS system that I know I can reach out to and they will be suitable that's the ideal world yeah, if you can let me know where that um, that list of people are, Yuri, that'd be great. I'd like to I'd like, I'd like to step into that. Um, Brett, I, love that. I feel I feel like there's an entire um, podcast episode in uh, you know build, building out that talent acquisition ecosystem because like it is it's such a little ecosystem. And I think that that misconception that TA um, you know is a is a byproduct of HR like that misconception's gone and it's more like a it's more like a byproduct of sales in some way because you really are um, building those connections and you know wanting to paint a picture and, and tell the brand story and I remember a manager an old manager said to me once that you know recruiting is all just all about just having conversations and that's what it is it's like you can have passive passive um, candidates but they might not fit anything that you're looking for right now and I think they're the they're the nuggets because you <laughs> you want to keep in touch with them to make sure that when that you know, unicorn role, as we call it, comes along that you're like, yeah, I do actually have someone. Yeah. I spoke to them six months ago and I've been keeping in contact with them and, you know, watching what their progress has been as well. Yeah, Pavi, how, how, how to live and has your, the, the outreach to the passive community? Ours is very much similar. So obviously we've only just got our ATS. So building up a CRM or a pipeline, it's all very early stages. But um, in going back to what, Yuri said before, we are then leveraging, you know, um, our marketing teams. Uh, so, you know, Liven in itself is a product. So even if we don't have successful candidates, all of those unsuccessful candidates are then still going to be using our product or potentially consumers as well. So we've got a bit of a twofold in that we can't afford to, um, you know, keep unsuccessful candidates in the system for too long without getting back to them and making sure that we do tie in our candidate experience at every step of that process um, because even if they're not a candidate, they're going to be using our product and we want to be able to leverage that. So at the moment what, what I'm doing is actually tying back our, our marketing, our outreaches all into the, the B2C space of our marketing team so I've actually formed a little committee with them to say you know what you're trying to achieve and what I'm trying to achieve is exactly the same let's pull our resources together and actually leverage off what um, you know the, the content that they're putting out there because it's going to be the same I always tie it back to you know what, to what Brett said um, our roles are sales at the end of the day I don't see it sitting under HR it doesn't really mesh um, or doesn't make sense for it to sit under HR when every part of our role or our job is external facing you know we're looking at who do we need to cold call who do we need to outreach to who do we need to keep warm for the future um, you know how do we close them have you closed this candidate yet how do we do the hard sell and close them off and prevent them from jumping off to another three other company offers that they have on the table like sounds like you what? work in agency Pabby. <laughs> <That's, laughs> get them out the line and internal isn't that much different to be very honest at the yeah. moment i feel like we're all selling our hearts out to go no stay with us don't go to the other person don't go to the other company but it is very much a sales role and um, you know everything that we're doing from a passive market base i don't even think it's passive like you said per se it's how many people can you reach out to you know you reach out to 100 people you'll get 20 of them respond back and out of those 20 10 will actually say no i'm not interested in moving so it's it's a numbers game at the end of the day yeah absolutely it was your it was your points around the um the the, the passive um engagement of, of, of passive talent do you want to do you want to conclude that for us? Do you want to, do you want to tell us where this, yeah, where, where, where the, un, under which rock this answer is uh, is hiding? We've got all the answers now. Uh, recruitment's done. 
Um, <laughs> no, I think I think like there's no. I think it's different things, right? It's in the process. It needs to be, um, you know, agreeing with different departments. As I said, and I think going back to what you said, Bobby, is a sales team has got all these tools. It's got uh, sales decks. They've got all the powerpoints. They've got all the thing that they they've got all the weapons to go out in the market and convince potential prospects to come and, and buy in. We should have the same thing going to candidates, including a very good CRM that automatically gives you a list of, hey, these candidates, have, you haven't reached out to them in six days, they're actually in your bucket of great candidates, something like that, very simple. There are tools out there, um, but it's, it's crucial, especially if you, like you two, are, are growing from the ground up to, to get that in place from day one, because in a year or two, you might have spoken to, I don't know, let's say thousands of candidates, uh, let's hope you're not called all of them, but you've spoken to all thousands of candidates, you might want to reach out to them again. And if you don't do that from day one, you're going to miss out because other people would have. Yeah, no, I think there's, there's, there's been lots of um, lots of insight there. I think, as we've said a couple of times, we probably could have picked a couple of those subjects up and created a whole hour-long um, podcast episode out of those alone. We still would have left some on the table. Um, so, so, yeah, I think there's some, some, some good takeaways there, some good insights and some so some things that made me think about things slightly differently and 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 some 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 new ideas so so thank you for for that um that 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 input um really enjoyed the conversation today um we will um have to have to wrap up uh now so that uh, we can we can fit it into the hour um but yeah look, really really enjoyed that obviously and, and all the 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 um, pre-calls and prep calls that I, that I had with you as well very insightful um, I knew that we'd have to have a really good conversation today so I want to take the time to, to thank you again for your um, for taking the time out of um, what is clearly an incredibly uh, incredibly difficult life that we all have right now um, uh, incredibly busy um, but thank you for taking the time out I think hopefully you've all taken something from that as well and um, yeah look forward to potentially speaking about some of these other projects uh, these other topics and uh, on, on separate podcasts in the future um, love, to, love to have you involved so thank you very much for your time it's uh, been great speaking to you